It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. You can thank me later. Download the Alive Podcast app from your app store today. Welcome to This is Joy on the Alive Podcast Network. I'm your host, Naila Ansari. On this week's episode, we have Dr. John Torrey, a Black philosopher who has committed his life to teaching and researching reparations for Black Americans. As a scholar and expert on reparations, Dr. Torrey shares how justice has led him on his pathway to joy and the importance of teaching philosophy to the next generation as a vessel to joy. Welcome, Dr. John Tory. Welcome, everyone. I'm Naila Ansari, your host for This Is Joy on the Alive Podcast Network. I am so excited to have Professor Dr. John Tory with us today. And it's so interesting because one of our first episodes, we have a philosopher. And y'all are some people that like to think about thinking, Just particularly about life. So this conversation on joy should be very interesting today. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. We like we, we tend to have a lot of big thoughts about big ideas. So I'm looking forward to do a little bit of work about joy. So it uh, puts smiles on faces and it inspires people's lives. So it's good stuff to talk yes, about. Yes, for sure. So a little background on Dr. John Tory. We're actually colleagues. So we met in the world of academia, which is interesting. Black academics is a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. John Torrey is an assistant professor in philosophy and a contributing professor in Africana Studies Unit at SUNY Buffalo State. He holds a BA in philosophy and Spanish from Morehouse College. I know you can rep the Morehouse. Always. MA and PhD in philosophy from the University of Memphis. And as a public philosopher, his primary research interest is in the interconnection between moral arguments for reparations for Black people and their political limits in America. So my friends, he is someone that actually knows about reparations. And we've had this conversation several times. I'm still trying to learn about what reparations are. And that definitely brings joy to Dr. Tory. But we'll get a little bit into oh, yes. that. Oh, yes. <laughs> so as a researcher of joy, I've been traveling around the country, interviewing different Black women on joy. And I asked three questions. So I'm going to ask you the same three questions that I ask everyone else. And the first one is, what is joy? Joy is so i think of it in terms of the feeling it's the that 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 tingle in your heart when you know something good's happening around you so whether it's experiences with family experiences with friends experiences as we're teaching like i you know i get significant joy when i'm teaching so joy to me is the it as like i describe it as a feeling it's that feeling of being in your in the right space and having the right kind of yeah being in the right space at the right time mm. That's interesting. Okay. Right space at the right time. That's the first time I've heard that answer. Um, when did you discover joy? 
early as a kid. I, I, I got loved on as a kid. So I was <laughs> like, that's, that's how I figured out what joy was. Seeing my mom and my dad treat me with, with kind hands. So it's like, you're always in the right place at the right time with us. You should always be joyful around us because we're going to keep you safe, sound, successful, and secure. That's, that's how I picked up joy early with my family. There's no, no question asked. Even now, I'm going to go home to, to, for the winter break. I'm going to see my family. That's why I'm going home. That's because it provides me with joy. It's like a, like a reservoir of joy. You can always pull from and the well never goes empty. Mm. So you're, you find your joy, I would say, in others. Yes. Okay. Yes. I have very much other differentiated joy. That's you know, when, I, when I see people smile, that, that does something. When I see people enjoying their lives, that does something for me. Especially if I got a hand in them doing it. Oh, my God. That's, that's the warm and fuzzy. That's the, that's the joy. Well, when did Joy discover you? Mm, probably when I found out how to teach. When I learned about my ability to teach, mentor, and reach out to people, it was like, this is how you get to put that stuff in the world. You like being able to feel it. You like being able to experience it. This is how you get to go do that. And so like being able to do service to others, being able to help people learn. There's something so beautiful about the light bulb moment when they're like, oh, I didn't know this thing. And then all the connections happen. That's for me, those experiences I can't I can't replicate in any other experience mm-hmm. in any other spaces. I can't think of how they would come to be other than in that like teacher student relationship or in that 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 the relationship of engaging with somebody else and you're learning from each other. God, that's that is how I think Joy found me is being able to have that experience over and over and over again. And I keep coming back to it. And I keep enjoying it. And I keep getting something out of it. So that's. I'm thinking and teaching and learning. That's that's how joy found me. Hmm. It's so interesting because not a lot of people find joy in their careers. I never said I did. No, I never said I did. <laughs> <laughs> Which is that's a lot. A lot of what people, you know, when I have these different interviews and I, and I meet different people from across the country, it's been interesting because their joy has been in kind of these moments. I've rarely met people that really talked about what they do for a living, really bringing them a sense of joy. And so you talk about that as like most people, their teachers like, uh, I gotta go with these kids. I gotta work with these students. But the way you just <laughs> described it really is the sense of like, you found your pathway through joy, through teaching and through career, but you've also found it in scholarship. You found it in this way of reparations, which is really like a, essentially this freeing liberation of black folks. And can you go into that a little bit? Oh, and how do yeah. you discover joy in reparations? So joy in reparations for me is joy in justice. It's having the right thing happen at the right time because, well, if you do wrong to someone, you kind of have a responsibility to be right by them. And that's an experience that puts what's a recognition is joy. Being seen as someone who was a victim and recognized as a victim that requires compensation or at least ec- uh, one's acknowledgement, that's joy. Um, it's, as you said, it's, it, it's, it's liberating because now we're not beholden to the shackles of just the past and our, our, our woeful experiences as African-Americans and across the diaspora, we now get a chance to build a new future. That's joy for black people. I, I, I can't think of another way in which we think of our, our joy, historically speaking, it's never been in our present generation. Our joy is always in what our kids get to get. Our joy is always when our future generations get to get because we're always kind of getting kicked in the teeth. Getting us, getting a chance to see that kind of policy where we can produce joy while we're here and for our future generations, like that's it compounds, and it's all because we're trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. Because black people have been harmed, we have been woefully mistreated, 
that does require some sort of compensation. It does require acknowledgement. It does require being dealt with. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think Black people being receiving that kind of acknowledgement, appreciation, apology, and ideally compensation and policy change. If it doesn't put a smile on your face, I you know, you I don't think you have a pulse. Well, I want to Biden this up, but you know, you might. <laughs> <laughs> but it it really it, I think it does speak to um, just how powerful the idea of of acknowledgement and I keep saying compensation, but uh, it's more than just that compensation. It's acknowledgement of harm and 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 being respected as who you are. That's that's a baseline, I think, for joy, is being is seen as respected, feeling respected. Even when I think about my family, I felt respected. That's like a, a necessary ground for joy in some ways. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that's the only space and way, uh, the only place and space that joy can be developed. But certainly, if you know you're respected, other things can build off of that. And I take joy to be one of those feelings, emotions, or experiences that can build off of the knowledge of your respect, the knowledge of, that you're acknowledged, the knowledge that you're appreciated. Mm-hmm. Well, how how do we do that? Because there's a lot. I mean, I've seen different celebrities come out and they've, you know, different politicians have had all these tactics in which they feel like they can bring some type of joy through reparations to the Black community, but it kind of seems very standard. It's very confusing. I will yeah. say that myself. And, you know, I've worked in an academic space and I'm confused about about reparations and how it's supposed to bring us joy when it seems it's, it's so conflicting when it comes to a governmental system. So how how is it possible for us to find reparations? Oh, you want the short answer or the long answer? How much time you got? <laughs> um, I'll 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 give the 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 succinct version of this. Um, there is no reparations that can be paid. So William Darity out of Duke said that uh, it's going to take over a trillion dollars. For black people, we're just doing an economic sort of approach. Over three now. There is no state government that can cover that. There's no city that can cover that. This has to be done at a kind of a federal level if we're going to really touch all black people. And that's going to be difficult. We're in divided government. We have a very um, partisan time that we're in. And so at the moment, I don't know how well that um, this project gets off the ground successfully. But I do know the project can start moving. And part of that is with, a, I think, a shifting tide, say, for example, in, in more uh, democratic circles, we're getting a, sh- a new sense of leadership. That's going to be more of a, a conversation that's going to be continued because it's going to be a younger forefront with more people of color. We're going to find more people that want to have the discussion for how to address racial injustice, because, frankly, reparation is just a, a mechanism for addressing, excuse me, systemic racial injustice that's existed for hundreds of years you can go 50 years you can go 30 years we're 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 looking at the black experience and how injustice has has uh, continuously been able to exist i do think even though i so i do think darity's right we're probably the federal approach is the right approach mm-hmm. if we're going to do something i like that states are trying to step up i love what california is trying to do i think as an approach um, it's right-minded and that it's trying to both address past harms and create a better future. And ultimately, what I find a real, a real difficulty with reparations policy is there are, well, who's going to be black enough to get it? That's going, that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be a, um, a can of worms that has to be addressed. But even before we get to that, it's who, who are we going to pay in terms of, um, are we paying them Economic, are we paying them directly with, with money, uh, uh, with checks? Are we paying them in, in kind? So, uh, we're going to give them assistance for, say, home development, assistance for, uh, for house buying, assistance for education. Um, are we going to do this in terms of, um, uh, 
reducing debt. So uh, black people get extra extra home debt, extra medical debt, extra um, educational debt. You know, how are we going to try to offset the costs of being black in America? The unjust kinds of costs. Um, I, I think of it as similar to like the paint tax for women, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, all the, all the like feminine hygiene products have an extra boost on them. That's on it's in a real way. It's a very real way. It's unjust because they're taking advantage of the population that kind of needs them. Right. So, um, I, I'm, I don't actually think, I always said this in my writing, I don't think I'm going to get to see it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm working more and more now and I'm seeing more stuff. St. Louis has a, a reparations project going inside the city that the mayor's now um, approved of. State of California's, um, they will have a reparation, um, recommendation, I believe by 2023. Um, we've got beginnings for what could be a very good national uprising on, on reparations policies. I think at some point, there's going to have to be a um, a combination of sorts that we have, you know, we're not stepping on each other's toes. But until that happens, and it's not going to happen at a federal level, there's no, uh, our, our national politics doesn't support it. And our national uh, polling doesn't support it. People mm-hmm. don't want this. And by people, I mean white people, just to be, to be frank. Mm-hmm. Most black people will poll up going, yes, give me some reparations. And by and large, it'll be um, uh, an overwhelmingly white um, uh, white group that will go, no, we don't, we don't want to buy this. So... Until that kind of public shift happens, where more black people are recognized as victims. So one way I think about that is um, the George Floyd experience. Right? Mm-hmm. I call it experience. It was a murder, but it was an experience for the nation. Right. It stopped everybody. Stopped everything in this track. It was also a unique time because we're all stuck in our homes, but everybody had to stop and pay attention. You couldn't look away and think racial injustice didn't exist in the world in some way, shape, or form because you just saw a guy get murdered. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of moments do help to, I think, start to shift um, how the dialogue is about the black experience. And I take that to be a, a necessary first step for us to get anywhere new reparations. We deserve it. It is owed. The argument is sound. We've been messed over. Our rights have been violated. They've been ignored. They've been downtrodden. We have not had, we have not had recompense. We have not had acknowledgement. This should be dealt with if we're doing this right, if it's to be just. But our society isn't on board with it. So until we get seen as, as worthy of that justice, we have a, a fight to go on. Hmm. And do you think that fight is why we have this idea of radical black joy? Yes, I can see that actually tying, tying together, like in the, in the midst of this fight for, uh, fight for acknowledgement, appreciation, apology, you will find the joy inside those, uh, inside that space. It's, um, uh, it reminds me of black feminism a little bit. Like there's, it's the, it's the becoming. It's not a being. It's, it's in the becoming that you can still get meaning in that experience. And so I imagine joy here is a similar version of meaning in that experience. That's the, the joy in the struggle, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're still making progress, even if it's, it's slow, it's bloody, it's tiring, it's fatiguing, it's um, infuriating. It's still progress. And that's something, it's something to smile about. It's something to, you can sleep the noble sleep because you know you've done something and you tried. Right. I think of radical black joy, I always say it's like the space of infinite possibilities. No mm-hmm. matter what gets taken, if we're always going to do it and come back out and do it bigger and better than what it was before. You think that we can't over out or outdo ourselves, then we outdo it and then some. Right. So I always think of radical black joy. And it can be it can be as small as as big as we want it to be in terms of black folks, because our feelings on a daily basis, we have resilience. We have to be resilient every day. Yes. And sometimes they're small and sometimes they're large. And so that radical joy really has to come out of that. 
So when we speak of radical joy, I always think of that counter to reparations, right? Because most people think of it as really the struggle, especially when you talk about white folks, like they don't think of it as a space that can really liberate us and give us joy. Right. They think of it as like, oh, this is this labor. Now we got to put all this money out. Right. And it's so interesting because when you look at, I mean, there was just recently um, a, a secretary that was working with the Nazi that 97 years old mm-hmm. that just got in, in, in prison. So like. Right. You know, like we look at it very differently in the States compared to, you know, Europe compared to Germany. Yes. Yes. Can you talk about that difference a little bit? So, I mean, post-World War II, Germany got popped with reparations. Uh, After World War I, Germany got popped with reparations. That's one of the reasons why they were so salty in World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it? Um, Historically speaking, we have done the closest thing to reparations policy that I think people would recognize would be the um, National Civil Liberties Act of 1988, where we paid. Um, Japanese and term uh, Japanese Americans who were interned, either them or their descendants, got paid somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars each. That happened um, after you know took about fifty years of, of active protesting to try to get there. Um, but that's the closest version we've been able to get with people who we've harmed on our own soil, cognizant, you know, like we're aware of it, we did it, and we have to apologize for it. There have been other um, atrocities, you might say, across Europe. Um, again, World War II is always the big one that comes up, but it, what was it? Uh, 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 I believe it was Israel. The, 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 the country received reparations pay. Mm-hmm. And that was done because there was a cacophony of harm done to Jewish people in those, in the, in the, in the, in the chambers and in the, in, in, in the concentration camps and, and having their rights violated and like, like that's, these are the reasons for why you do reparations. Rights have been violated. Harm has been done. They're not just documented. They're, they're, they are uh, atrocious. So you're supposed to do something. You have, a, you have a debt of justice. You wouldn't want this done to you. You wouldn't want this done to people like you. You wouldn't want this done to your family. You wouldn't want this done to your country. You, would, you, you know, we violated some sense of general decency and rights. And I'm a big fan of rights because everyone's got them. That means you have to respect them. And if you're not respecting mine because of who I am, we're officially doing something like that. It, it, it just it's, make it real clear and easy. So for people who are like, I'm, I'm confused about reparation, here's your brief story. Black people were enslaved. That means our rights were ignored and violated. That's a problem. After we get out of enslavement, we still have our rights violated, ignored because we're not able to vote. We're not treated as equal citizens. We're blocked out from things like the Homestead Act. We're blocked out from benefits like the GI Bill. Black people are going to war in World War One and World War Two and come back and get lynched. We have red lines. We, are out, uh, we don't get to have access to uh, good real estate. We're also not receiving uh, quality loan benefits. So even if we do get access to some place we'd like to live, we're not going to be able to get the, uh, um, uh, a quality loan, which will make things more difficult for us economically. We are assumed to uh, receive more pain and be able to endure more pain, which means our medical care is uh, a little bit uh, skewed to assume that if we're saying our pain tolerance is a four, well, actually, they'll survive until it's an eight. Well, well no, my, my, my kidney is about to go. That's a problem. These are the litany of experiences. And we haven't gotten into police violence over the last 30 years. Uh, we haven't gotten into uh, voter dis- voter disenfranchisement. We haven't gotten into uh, uh, the mass, uh, what is it, mass incarceration. And we haven't gotten into war on drugs. These are all policies. I believe either at a federal, at a state, or at a local level that all directly impact the ability for black people to have successful lives in America because their rights are being violated, ignored, and trampled at every turn. That's the background. What you're supposed to do when that happens is pay your damn debt. And on that note, we are going to take a commercial break and we will be right back.
So something I have to bring up that's been uh, heavily in the news recently, uh, it's about Black men in therapy. We just saw Twitch, the DJ, mm. uh, who was really big in the dance community, this community that I come from, uh, committed suicide. And there's something right now that I feel like a movement that's trying to kind of get Black men into it, but I don't necessarily know that Black men are at the forefront of that. So can you speak a little bit about Black men in this day and age and the, the emotional, psych, kind of psychological um, push that a lot of people are trying to get Black men into? Are Black men actually doing that for themselves? Or is this, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a woman. I'm not usually in those spaces. So what's, what's yeah. kind of the conversation around Black men right now? Uh, there is a, I think, a real recognition that amongst a good chunk of us, I can't speak for all of us, but amongst a good chunk of us, there's a recognition that we have to get our get our mental houses in order, and that there's a lot of social pressures that are unique to Black men that we don't get to chat about enough, or that we don't really, uh, we don't get to engage and and decompress about. So it'll just, you know, we just kind of live through it, and after a while. For a lot of us, there's a breaking point. There's only so much living through without uh, releasing, decompressing, and not like just not analyzing, because we can do that all day long, but being able to analyze in a way that we can acknowledge and understand what we're going through and find solutions and spaces to be able to protect our mental health wherever possible. I think that might be the phrase that's better. That's like, we've heard it with people say, I want her to be my peace. That's a translation for protect my mental health. Right. Like that's, right. It, you know, it, it's a joke, but it's, it's, it's another way of describing, we know our mind space is important and that we don't do a good job of protecting it. And I do know a lot of people, a lot of black men aren't getting into therapy or appreciating the, the, uh, the, the benefits of therapy. I'm one of them. I go to therapy. It's good. You need to do it. It's a good place to go. Need to call my therapist and get my appointment for the new year. Right. Like it's, it's, <laughs> Because it's a great place to be able to express the stuff that most of the time we don't get to do. I mean, um, I talked about this in my class. I think one of, the, one of the last few days of class, we were talking about uh, the Black male experience. We did Black male study. And, you know, I do all this board work. And at the end of the day, I look at the board and it's like, there's a lot of things that we're not allowed to be. You know, so we can't be very sensitive because now we're, now we're punks, we're soft, and we're like, mm -hmm. man, we can't be very aggressive to, de to defend stuff because now you're boogie, man. You're getting, you know, you're, you're big and scary, but you also had better be able to be the boogeyman because it's expected that you're big and scary. That's a tough spot to be in for a number of people. And that's just on a baseline of, of, of being someone in the world. We're not even saying anything about how you move, what you dress, where you go, what your interests are, um, who you pound around with, who you want to love on. We, we haven't touched any of that. And yet it's already it's hyper constrained with how you can even be in the world, having someplace to go and talk about that is important and and men use other men for that too they're, you know there's a lot of i think that's really something that's uh underrated in some in some aspects of uh men do have men's circles right mm -hmm. like you know we, we call like the, the men's quarter that's what we call in my family you know a bunch of us and uh, my, my older cousins will get together and be able to just talk about what it is you know you're in your 50s and 60s i'd like to know what's coming down the pipe and maybe i can get some advice on how i can survive my 20s and 30s and be successful and be like y'all you know and, um those are places where I think traditionally some of that talk got done, but because of the expectation of the macho, the tough, I can't, you know, I can't reveal too, too much. Um, I think that expectation is, 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 is whittling down. Mm -hmm. I don't know how quickly and I don't know how, I don't know how effectively, but I do think the expectation that we're just supposed to sit and hold everything in internally, we're trying to, we are trying to get away from it. what kinds of ways we have to, I suppose safely exercise that or get that out 
therapy is one option. You need to double down on that. But we also can't just go therapy, therapy, therapy. Not all therapists are good therapists. But very not true. And they're not, they're very right? few black therapists yes. as well. More are coming out. I mean, and there's more foundations that are trying to get black therapists in, but yeah. arguably there's not that many folks in double down with black male therapists, it gets the number gets even smaller. Smaller, right. Right. So if we're looking for people that help to help us, that's building up that community will be extremely helpful. And that's probably why a lot of like the YouTube channels and the TikToks have a lot of like popularity right now happens because there's a, a dearth of, of qualified or, um, you know, uh, mental health professionals that are going, we want to help you guys. We want to help you black men. There's just not enough of them available screaming for that same sort of um, uh, screaming for this audience to come and find us because we know you're looking for us. It's more of a come find us. We know you need us. Well, we're also looking for you. And so um, uh, changing that message, I think, may assist with letting more Black guys feel comfy to go be themselves, be open and vulnerable, which that's what therapy is requiring. That's that's how you protect your peace. You can, you know, it's impossible to be, Malcolm X says, I'm paraphrasing it, uh, but you can't be at peace without your freedom. Mm, right. Mm, and, yeah. and so there's a um, one of the benefits, one of the liberating aspects, I think, of, of doing therapy is you get to kind of get your freedom. And that's an experience, I think, for, for all black people is, you know, we're, just, we're not fully free in a number of ways. And so we kind of feel, you know, that we're, we're not we're not always settled in some ways. And um, I think that experience for black men is one that's unique in some ways and that we find that there's um, you know, not a, not enough of us are working on trying to keep our peace but more of us i think are aware that it's something right and it's you know it's interesting because we bring this into the sense of relationships particularly when you're talking about women and, and men in relationships there becomes this real tension and we've had these conversations before about you know black women are we're equally trying to find our joy y'all trying to figure out your joy but a lot of times we're in these spaces and now there's a lot of role reversal from the, these trying to traditional methods of, of living and domesticality in the household, which kind of switches a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about Black men joining relationships? Because I always say that the worst thing that someone can do in a relationship is someone actively tells you their joy and you go against it, yes. right? Like someone, you know, and a lot of times I, I feel like, you know, a lot of women will be in relationships and men tend to find hobbies, I would say, that bring them joy in a lot in a lot more ways than than women have and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll use that as my own personal experience but you know i've had friends that you know their husbands go golfing all the time yeah you know tennis basketball you know they find these things in kind of these active sports and women t tend to feel bad about when they have to it's like oh i gotta take care of these kids or you know or i gotta work i gotta hustle i'm trying to grind because they're always trying to kind of push against the system that also was not sent for except for for women particularly black women so can you speak a little bit about you know, black men's joy. And we, you know, for those that of you that don't know, John is also a comedian and has the concept of nigga chronicle. Go that. Uh -huh. You, it's a short story. You all can catch it online. The, um, <laughs> um, God, the honest answer. We, you're, I, so first let me say, you're absolutely right. Someone tells you their joy and you go, I can't do that. Y'all shouldn't be together. Right, that, right. Like that's you know now if 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 man's like my joy is a sandwich, <laughs> a sandwich and a clean home, and you go that's not how I do. It. You all aren't gonna work, <laughs> right? It's just not gonna work. 
Like, it doesn't matter if you can do the cleanest house in the world. If that's not what you do. But a lot of men also don't share what their joy is. Like, they might not. Yes. And that's also important that people have to actually share yes. what their joy is. Like, my joy is literally sitting home. I want to sit in my little cubby and I want to read and I want to not be bothered by nobody in the house. Yes. I want to sit and be able to get my new book and read it and that's and just leave me alone. I'm not being rude. I just want my alone time. This and is your actual joy right now. This is it? my actual. <laughs> this is my actual joy right now. D- diving into d- different books, but if my partner says to me, "You know what? Like that's really annoying me. That's going to take me to a whole nother level." Right. And so a lot of times, I think we don't share that. And I don't, you know, I don't know from a male's perspective. Do you all feel like you need to share it, or do you think it's something that is obvious that women should just read your mind? We don't think it's obvious. We do think we're simple. I don't. I don't know very many men that be like we have like a like a a fifty fifty bullet item list of stuff we need, but we don't say a lot of them. That is a that is a hard part, and then part of that's because it means we're being vulnerable, and we've been getting trained for generations. Don't be vulnerable. That's bad business. That's bad business for your relationship. That's bad business for you in the world. So don't be vulnerable, which means you're like, what do you need? What brings you joy? You baby. And keep it growing. Because, <laughs> you know. Because y'all not trying to be bothered. Right. <laughs> right. We're not trying to be bothered. And we may not even ask ourselves, like, on a, at a deeper level, like, what's bringing us joy, like, in this relationship? So mm-hmm. it may be your presence brings us joy. Like, we love, we love the company. We love the spirit. We love the energy. It may be uh, how you treat us brings us joy, right? Like, you, you, you pamper us. So you're always looking out for us or something like that. Or uh, it might be your, your 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 drive brings us joy. Like you always on, you know, you're always going for an adventure. Always looking for a new thing to do. Um, but I don't know if we're, I don't know if we think about that unless we're actually in something serious or looking for something serious. Because then that person really does like your our joy and your joy got to at least line up. Or I should say, you have to be able to do the stuff that brings me joy, and I have to, be able to do the stuff that brings you joy. Um, and I can imagine for a number of men, unless we're thinking about something serious, it's not that we don't want to bring you joy, but the the depth of the question, because that's not like a like, you know, like not this ain't just what makes you happy. Right. brings you joy. joy. Yeah. Right? Like so we we I, I don't think we're coming in lacking in some ways, but I do think we don't always ask the question internally until we feel like it's the right time to ask that, like, oh what? God, what bring what will bring me joy with this woman? She's bringing me joy. And frequently that'll be it'll be something like that. It'll be her. Like that's when I think about men when they fall in love with all that's she does she does it. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's the package of what she is and who she is, which includes her behavior, her mannerism, her spirit, her um her idiosyncrasies, you know what I mean? E- everything about her is what we'll end up going. We we you know, we take joy in her being in our lives. That's I think is like the baseline when we think like what is what does the joy look like in our relationship? When we're happy and it's healthy. It's it's her. Oh, that is so interesting. Because from my perspective, I would always think for me, and I know different girlfriends, I mean, plenty of people have gotten divorces over, you know, their men's hobbies or <laughs> cost a lot of Wait money or take them out the house. Y'all or, you know, what kind of then, hobbies you was talking about? <laughs> but but I, I mean, that's serious. You know, some people like golf is, can be an expensive thing. And yeah. I've had friends be like, look, I'm about to debt him in a minute if he don't yeah. stop paying all this money going golfing and things like But it's usually because there's a major disconnect because sometimes I could take it as a partner like, you don't want to be around me. What like you want to be gone for eight hours? Like you've been you've been working all week and you're gonna be gone right. for eight hours on a Saturday and a Sunday, and I gotta be home and clean up and do all these things. Right? It's not really communicated in that way. That yeah. that you know 
you that the woman is bringing you joy or that your partner is bringing you joy because for us it comes off as like activities is what like we don't necessarily always feel that we're the one that's giving you okay okay so the activities give us joy and peace in ways so we can like not have to think that's what golf is golf is so much fun because the only thing you're worried about is ball and the hole (laughs) that like there's nothing else that really matters beautiful weather ball and the hole and you're with your friend and you kick it and you can do this for hours because men can do that for hours. Y'all can do it too. Y'all go shopping sprees, girls trips, uh, uh, mani petty days. But like y'all know how to brunch from from uh, from eleven to seven. <laughs> you know y'all know how to have a whole day where you're kicking it. Um, and so the activities for us are our ways to just be able to relax and get away, and not like get away from you, but get away from everything. And then when we come back, it's you. Mm-hmm. Like when we like we do this eight hours away golfing. Because when we come back, it's you. But we got an attitude because you didn't tell us all that before you went. And so when you come home, right. we in, we in a stank mood. And then you come in thinking it's a great, you know, you had a great day. I and mean, then you're walking round. into stank, coming into the, you know, attitude, coming into the house because, to be you know. Fair, if we had told you on the front end, you were still going to be mad. Cause we're <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, that's fair. That is fair. But I do think there's something, you know, I've, I've heard this, this, you know, kind of this question that brings a lot of attention sometimes is, is it possible for two people to come together that don't know their joy to, mm. to, to, to fulfill a relationship? It's like neither one of them knows what brings them joy and neither one knows what, the, what brings it's the partner, partner joy. joy. Right. Ah, there's a, that's a gap in communication. At some point, like, I'm going to notice you like this, like you, you like nails and you like um, this musician and you, you know, I should be able to pick up stuff that you either appreciate enjoy or like this really take joy out of we should have that in conversation at some point there should be a oh my god this you know the kaboom like all the joy because of the thing that happened today that's something you should probably register but is it possible if two people are going in and they don't really know their joy because what i'm finding in all Mm -hmm. these different interviews there's a lot of people that really don't really know what brings them joy they're really so still very much in search of it they have joyous occasions or they have joyous moments but something that is consistent for them that that is just allows them to be content isn't very you know isn't as obvious as people think it is so if people are coming into a relationship and they really don't know what brings them joy is it possible to have a joyous relationship i'm gonna go with yes because even though they don't know what brings them joy that doesn't mean that they won't know what brings them joy and that inside this relationship they might end up finding out. So even if the relationship itself isn't successful, like maybe it doesn't go the distance for whatever, mm-hmm. whatever success looks like, it could certainly be joyous because you may end up finding, oh, and they, you know, when this person like rubs my rubs my shoulder on a random Thursday because they know I'm feeling anxious, you're feeling connected with that person, and that might give you insight into what joy feels like inside that relationship. And maybe it's insight you just couldn't have before because you didn't have this specific relationship or any relationship before. So I do think you can have you can go in without knowing something and learn that in the process of everything. And if the two of you are open and and willing, really, how the how the thing goes, things right, right. You know what I'm saying. However, you and your partners are operating <laughs> with the uh with with understanding each other's joys. I think a lot of that does take a um um a willingness to admit that you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And if, the, if both people can do that, then I think absolutely they can find a joyous relationship out of that because now they're both working with each other. Uh, you know, one thing about relationships is that they're like a, they're, they're team mission, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're on a team to do a thing. 
And now that's a thing that they get to do as a team. And I, I, I do think that that gives ground for creating a space where it's joyous. Even if you don't find like all the joy, if you and your person find a joy that you didn't know before you found that person, you've created a joyous relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. I'll accept that. I got to linger on that a little bit the more. The strikes again. The philosopher strikes again. So we're going to move into <laughs> the, we're going to play Four Rooms of Joy. So in different interviews that I've had during my research journey of joy and still researching, I found that most people find joy in four spaces, uh, play, resistance as resilience, community, and self. So I'm going to name each one and you're going to name a joy for each room. One word joy, is that what this is? Mm -hmm. So what gives you joy in play? My dog, Blaze. Blaze. Uh, what's something that, and this can be a longer answer, um, that's giving you joy, but it came out of resistance or as resilience. Becoming Dr. Tori. Hands down. That's, uh, it's a decade of, uh, you find out a lot about yourself when you're pursuing the higher degrees, uh, whether it's a master's or otherwise, you end up finding out a lot more about what you're willing to endure. And, and you have to ask your question, like, why am I doing this to myself? Um, <laughs> after a while, you know, the, the the light at the end of the tunnel starts going. And you know you're picking up more than what you had when you started. And I can look back. I'm looking at my CV from like 2012. And I looked at it again in maybe 2016. And it was at night and day. I'm like, well, all this struggle's happening. I'm getting something out of this. Like, we're, we're moving towards whatever that finish line is. It's worth it. And then when they get there. I could say, is it we being vulnerable? I teared up. As soon as, they, as soon as they announced me to Dr. Thor, I, I still remember the, I still remember it. This is the work befitting of a doctor. Let me introduce you all, Dr. John Tort. Tears immediately. My mom and dad were in the room. I had all colleagues and friends from grad school. Like it was, it's a uh it, it's a, it's a touching moment because I knew I had I had earned it. And earning it comes from you gotta take one on the chin and know you can get back up. And grad school will do that to you. Very true. Uh, what gives you joy in community? Service. Service. That's, there's nothing like helping community, being of service to community, being, uh, being useful. That's always the way I describe it because what you want to do might not be useful, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to be useful. There's nothing like when you're, when, when there's, there's, there's a protest happening. That's useful for me to be there. I will be there. Let's go do this. Um, there's an event, event happening. Useful for me to be there. Let's go contribute. There's a, a commission happening. Y'all think I'd be useful to be on it? Let's go do that. Um, it's about being of service. And I do take that seriously because I'm, I'm, I have the PhD. I'm a learned man in this world. I know stuff. Mm-hmm. My job is to share that stuff. It's, you know, you know, information is not to be hoarded. It is to be used and shared. And so getting to be in service and community sharing that stuff, God, that's, I, I, I get big smile when I do like three college philosophy work because I know I'm touching the youth. I'm doing something that's going to help in some way, shape, or form help them think a little bit differently about the world they're in and really inspire them to go make a change. And that's like, that's service. That's love doing that. And you're brightening up. The smile just came out when you mentioned it's It's real. <laughs> it is real. <laughs> and what is joy in self for you? Oh, that's a hard, that is the hard one. It's it usually is. the hardest one. Most people usually don't point to this very often. It's in knowing that I'm a kind man. Hmm. That, that takes some. It's it has been a roller coaster to feel to sink in the shoes with that, and know I can live with that. But I'm 
I take joy in myself knowing I'm a kind man. I, I move with intention of not trying to mess people over. You ain't gonna get it right all the time. I'm terrible with my time. But at the very least, I'm trying not to make, I'm trying to make sure I treat people with respect, with the kindness they deserve, and try to uplift them I can. That's, I can go to sleep knowing that I'm doing the right stuff. I can tell like the ones that come after me that you can live this kind of life and I know I'm not putting on that's I, I yeah, that's that's joy in myself. So how would you want to be remembered? As someone who is useful and good. <laughs> that's so philosophical of you, the whole all the all <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I hopefully they say I was funny, that we had some good stories, that they had good time with me, that mm -hmm. that that um that regardless of the time they got with me, it was time that they felt was was worthwhile. That's that's yeah, that's the big one. Like, yeah, shit, I want I'm really not ready. I'll be I'll be useful, cool. I want people to to end up when I I'll bet my funeral, I'm hopeful, A, that they start 30 minutes late. That's gonna be in my in my <laughs> and B that it's just a bunch of people telling stories about, you know, wild adventures they had with me, conversations that they had with me, stuff they learned from me, stuff they taught me. Places we went, I, I'm hopeful that I made an impact on people's lives and help them feel like they could do more than what they were already doing to make the world a better place than something they could. And the last question I have for you, I have two, two questions, but um, the last kind of big world question for you is what's your joy practice right now? And what is it that you would want to share that maybe give, that would maybe give someone else joy? Uh, and think of two offhand. One is pre-college philosophy. Working with kids is always, you know, you're doing some, and like we get to do this like being college professors, but it hits different when they're 15 because they, mm -hmm. there's, there's other parts of the world they haven't seen. You can try to help at least prepare them for because by the time I see them at 20, they've seen a lot. Oh my right. God, <laughs> right. Um, so doing that work is, um, that I think that will almost always give me joy. And, and so here we go. Um, um, I talked with a student at a local high school maybe a couple of weeks ago. And they have a philosophy club they just started, and it's a black student, and he and he's seen he's so ripped and ready to go. So I'm gonna work with that philosophy club this spring because that's dope. Like that's it's mm -hmm. it's merging what I love to do and there's people that want to do that stuff. So again, to to go back to what I said earlier, it's the service. That's that is my joy practice. How can I be useful to people? How can I bring out the stuff that you want to bring out and make it refine it, tink it? play with it and it goes where you want it to go. Right? Like I, I think of myself as an editor for people, right? You got ideas, come to me, I'm gonna push a pull. I might poke at it, but when it's done, you should have something better that you feel more confident about that you can run through because if you can get past me, you can get past a few people, you know, I ain't the final boss, but you know, I'm pretty deep in the dungeon. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, uh, practice practice for sure is is service and, and downtime. Actually, mm -hmm. I love um, so time with the dog. I I, I I have not taken I've not taken enough time with her lately. She lays down, and when I get to look at her, I recognize that's a, over ten years or more that we've been spending time together. That she's been the primary person around all the time. I got I have to respect and appreciate and 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 take the joy in getting to spend that time with my dog. You know that her life ain't going to be infinite. She's only so much time we get. So I really get to take the joy and even in the simple pets or walking her without the leech on or having her roll over or 
hell, she's jumping in the bed with whatever it is. It's that I get to uh, enjoy the time with my dog. And that's a, it's a unique bond. It's a joyous bond. Every time she look up, she's looking at daddy. And every time I look up, that's daddy's big girl. That's That won't go until neither one of us. All right. Well, this is Joy. And we close out each show with, uh, with the song that gives you joy. So what's your joy song? Bill Withers, Lovely Day. Lovely Day. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is this is Joy, and we are on the live podcast network, and looking forward to getting the next guest on. And thank you so much for being here, Dr. Don Tory. Thank you for having me, Naya. This was a blast. Yes. I'm, I'm already, I got all the joy. I yes. <laughs> That's the goal. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>